I miss him. I miss them. That is, my dad, my mom, and their friends who were all born between the years of 1901 and 1925 or so. Of course, they were not perfect. They were fallible human beings. But in my view, Tom Brokaw was right. Those born in that time period were indeed part of the greatest generation. And what is amazing about that generation is that while each person was unique and an individual, many shared some characteristics and qualities that were born from a world and uh, from world and from national upheaval and a lot of pain and uncertainty. World wars and a Great Depression unleashed a heck of a lot of grit in those folks. Without a doubt, my parents, along with many like them, wanted to do the right thing. And to do the right thing, not just for themselves, but especially for others. Tom Brokaw and others who have written about that generation have highlighted some key qualities of those born in the early 20th century. Characteristics such as taking personal responsibility, working hard, not wasting time or money, keeping commitments, personal integrity, self-sacrificing for the welfare of other people, and humility. In my view, there was also a great sense of civic responsibility and service to others. Faith was central, and being self-centered or selfish was not part of those who contributed to being the greatest generation. You know, as I thought about it, and as I think about it, my dad never asked what he could get but rather what he could give. Me, 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 me was a concept quite foreign to him and many of his friends. And acting in ways that potentially put others at risk would have been something many in his generation could never have conceived of. There was such a great sense of community and doing unto others. One US senator, I won't name the party because If I did, his words might be discounted by some. One U.S. senator who was part of that generation once said, we must remember that we are more alike than different. And how we act toward one another is as important as anything else we aspire to do. Can you imagine such words coming from a senator now? How we act toward one another is as important as anything we aspire to do. He goes on to write, this is perhaps why we had political disagreements and often fought on the Senate floor, but at day's end we shared a drink, talked as friendly rivals and even friends, and found common causes solving problems and serving people. Well, while the bad news is that all I have just shared is not how I would characterize much of America today or its political parties, there is good news You see that same senator I just mentioned, the one who said, if we remember we are more alike than different, that how we act toward one another is as important as anything we do. Well, he added something. He said, if we do this, there's no reason why any generation cannot be called the greatest. As followers of Jesus, I believe this is exactly what we are called to do and become. To act toward one another as if doing so is as important as anything else we might accomplish. This is precisely how God wants us to show up in our world. 
to keep our actions and the impact they have on other people at the front and center of everything. What makes me sad is that there have been moments that I have nearly been sucked into the cauldron of how many people are choosing to behave today. But I know that if I choose to follow Jesus, that if we choose to follow Jesus, if we're really serious about it, that being unchristlike is not an option for any of us, whether we are a school teacher, a truck driver, a local official, a business person, or a politician at any level. I believe that there are millions of great people out there. There are more caring, loving, selfless, giving people than those that are vile and mean and incredibly selfish who spend their time casting stones left and right toward anyone with whom they disagree. There are many who are faithfully, quietly following Jesus' footsteps and serving and showing up as Jesus would have us show up. One thing that is interesting to me is that where I, from where I sit, the topic that seems to be driving so much of what we are witnessing in our country today is freedom itself. Freedom used to be something that united us. Now it's apparently something that divides us. Freedom, in some ways, is one of the hottest topics right now. I've observed few things as hot as the topic of freedom in my life before. And what's interesting to me is it just so happens that freedom is one of the top topics in Scripture itself from beginning to end. And this morning, I'd like to jump into this hot topic of freedom. And I know that by doing so, some of my words may cause a stir, may be misunderstood, or may even result in some folks thinking I'm a buffoon. And while I sometimes am indeed a buffoon, my intention today is not to upset, but rather to compel us all in our faith journey, in our walk with Jesus, which is what it is all about, to compel us all to, to think about one of the most important things there is, and that is how we are going to choose to use our God-given freedom. I have to say that there is nothing in my words today that are partisan. Everything I have to say is far deeper. It's all about our walk with Jesus. So to get us started, let's take a look at freedom in Scripture. Free will, freedom, the ability to make choices for oneself. Without any doubt at all, freedom is something our Creator intends for every single human being on the planet. There's no question about it. Freedom is a gift from God. And throughout Scripture, story after story gets at the importance of freedom and how it's used. Let's take a look at just a sampling. Near the very beginning of the Bible, of course, in Genesis chapter 2, we find the story of Adam and Eve. Here's a brief excerpt. The Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, the story highlights some very fundamental things to ponder. Freedom is God-given. Freedom has been given to human beings 
since inception. And while God gave Adam and Eve freedom, God did ask that they not do one thing, which was to eat from the tree, or eat from the fruit from the tree of knowledge. Notice in the story that God did not take their freedom away. He didn't even constrain it. He didn't take their choices away, even bad ones. Their freedom remained. Certainly God had a preference as to how they would use their freedom, but God did not limit their freedom. Yet, as we know, Adam and Eve used their freedom and made a very poor decision. Then there's a story found in the book of Exodus. Moses travels to Egypt on God's behalf. His mission, which he did choose to accept, was to liberate the Israelites from oppression. And after Pharaoh and the people of Egypt had had enough, Moses led the people across the Red Sea into the wilderness. On the surface, things were quite simple. God provided food and water. God provided effective people to lead the people. God led the people by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud during the day. And all the people who were now liberated, all they had to do was to use their freedom to follow Moses to the promised land. But sadly, as we know, many of the people chose to use their freedom in other ways. They chose to use their freedom for self-serving purposes, for complaining, for giving Moses a hard time, for building a golden calf, for ignoring the right, for ignoring the right way of being, which was to worship God and care for each other. And while God did not take their freedom away, things were not very pleasant for a number of decades because of how people were using their freedom. Then there's the great story in the Gospels about a fellow who approaches Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, and so forth. The man responds, but Jesus, I've kept all those commandments. Is there anything else I have to do? And Jesus says, well, as a matter of fact, there is. Go and sell everything you have and come and follow me. The man turned and walked away from Jesus. This is not really a story about money. It's a story about Jesus inviting someone to use their freedom to rid themselves of something that was getting in the way of them following Jesus. It's a story that reaffirms that we have free will, that God does not take it away, and that it's up to us how we will use it. Part of the same thing was happening in the well-known story of the Good Samaritan. In it, a Jewish man was traveling down a road. A bunch of bandits beat him up. The guy's wounded, lying in the road. It just so happens that a priest is on the same road. And when he sees the man, he crosses to the other side of the road and walks by. Another fellow, a man who happened to work at the temple, also comes down the road. And he also just passes by. And a bit later, a Samaritan, a person from from a group of people who were deeply despised by many walks down the road, but when he sees the hurting man, he stops and does everything he can to help him. Yes, this is a story about doing to others and love and action, but it's also a story about how a variety of people chose to use their God-given freedom. One uses it to benefit another human being. The others use their freedom to take care of themselves with an attitude of the heck with the other person. Another time, Jesus is traveling toward Jerusalem as he was nearing the outskirts of a village. Ten men with leprosy approach Jesus. Jesus, have mercy on us, they call out. Jesus told them, go show yourselves to the priest and you will see that you have been healed. As the ten were walking away, one, ten, one of the ten stopped, turned around and headed back to where Jesus was standing. It was there that he praised God and gave thanks to Jesus. 
And while this story is about many things, one aspect of it that fits our theme today is that nine fellows who were sick and then healed chose not to be grateful. One, however, used his freedom to praise God and thank God for his healing. Just one more story. Jesus was out and about, and Jesus said to some folks, I tell you what, when you follow me in my teachings, in other words, when your life is about loving others and God, it's like a building your house on a big rock. When you do this, life gets rough. You will get through it because you built your life on me. But if you choose not to follow me or my teachings, you might as well build your house on sand. But watch out when things get stormy. Your house will be blown away. Here Jesus once again is saying that, how we, that we have freedom and free choice and how we use it has massive consequences. But yet again, Jesus does not take freedom away. All of this, all of these stories, and countless others in Scripture, I believe, have such relevance for each of us who are alive in this country at this time. It is crystal clear, crystal, crystal clear, that God is the source of freedom. And freedom is fundamental to what it means to be a human being created in God's image. Freedom is central to our faith journey. Freedom is fundamental, fundamental to America, and freedom must be preserved in our country. But if we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus did not spend his life teaching and preaching about the virtues of freedom. Rather, in story after story, Jesus taught about the responsibilities that come from freedom. That is, what our, uh, what our freedom obligates us to do, which is to always and without exception consider the needs of the other and the welfare of others as a whole. That statement reflects the core of Judaism and Christianity. Jesus never taught, do whatever the heck you want. Jesus never taught, do what is best for you today. Jesus never taught, put your rights ahead of other people. Your individual liberties are what matter the most. Jesus never taught that. There's not one story to be found in the Gospels in which Jesus taught any such thing. Quite the opposite, in fact. Here are some excerpts. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your enemies. Be careful what you treasure the most. Do something for people who are hurting, even when it's not convenient. If you want to hang on to your life for your own sake and your own life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life, if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant to everyone. Bless those who curse you. Do not judge others. Do not condemn others. Forgive others. If you are kind only to your friends, you are no different from anyone else. These are all teachings about how to use freedom and the obligations we have that freedom gives us. Paul 
whose life was turned upside down by Jesus, said the following on the topic of freedom. All things are lawful for me. I can do anything, in other words. But not all things are helpful. I can do everything, anything, but not everything is helpful. He also said, for you were called to freedom, my sisters and brothers, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for yourself, but use it to love and serve one another, Paul wrote. Countless other stories and teachings reflect the same key point. We are to use our freedom to live for others and for God. In my view, sometimes we get confused thinking that freedom is what is most important, that it's the end and not the means. But Jesus taught that freedom is not only God-given, but that it is the means and not the end. Freedom is the means, the tool, if you will, by which we can faithfully follow Jesus, albeit imperfectly. Love cannot happen without freedom, and so freedom is the means to the end of love. Freedom is the means to put other people ahead of ourselves. Freedom is the means to consider the welfare of the person in front of us. Freedom is the means by which we can choose to live for God. It is the means through which we can choose to keep commitments and treat all people as God does. Jesus was crystal clear, as we have talked about over the years at the chapel. Loving God and loving others is the point of life and what it means to follow Jesus, and freedom enables us to love in such a way with God's help. It's my hope and my profound prayer that over time that we will learn, that I will learn, not only as followers of Jesus, but as citizens of our great land, to shift our dialogue from freedom as the end-all and be-all to the obligations to others our God-given freedom creates. Obligations need to be the focus of our discussions, not freedom, while embracing the truth that freedom is from God and freedom must be protected. Earlier I mentioned the words of a U.S. senator who is now gone, long gone, but was part of the greatest generation. Remember what he said. He said, if we remember we are more alike than different, that how we act toward one another is as important as anything we aspire to do. If we do this, there's no reason why any generation can be called the greatest. We too can become the greatest generation. And I believe that as followers of Jesus, we're called to do what that senator invites us to become. To become a generation of Christ followers who are passionate about using our freedom precisely in the ways that Jesus taught. And when we do so, day by day, we can turn our lives and those around us back to why we were given life to begin with, which is to use our freedom to love God, to love others, and to learn to love ourselves by how we choose to use the freedom that God has given us. Amen.